0: Print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal.
2: Welcome back to extra special because we're going to be kicking off a new series where we're going to profile some big bucks that were killed in Pennsylvania this past season. Pennsylvania has a rich heritage of deer hunting. I can remember many stories of my grandfathers and dad and uncles and family and friends going to deer camp and having a blast, you know, taking that first week of buck season off, going back up for doe season and just having a good time. It didn't really matter what you shot, how big you shot, and it was just part of that. You know, I still have that to this very day, and I still love going to camp. But I've really pushed myself now, and maybe you can call it the hype of, of the 21st century and what deer hunting has evolved into in, in modern modern day. But the, 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 the thrill of chasing a mature buck is present in Pennsylvania, and it's getting better all the time. And the, these stories that we're going to be sharing with you are guys that you know, experience the same things early on, maybe in in their deer hunting career, and just kind of evolved to what they are now, um, to the thrill of chasing a big mature buck. Now, I don't want to get, you know, lose sight of of the big picture here. Deer hunting and what hunting is all about that thrill, that drive, that passion that we have that's what's most important. And anybody that listens to this, if you are thrilled with shooting a deer that is legal that you can put a smile on your face gets your heart pounding and you can put that food on your table and serve to your family and friends that's what it's all about but i want you to keep in mind that there's a handful of people out there and You know, they've experienced this where they might shoot a deer and after they get up to it, they almost have like a regret of shooting that deer. And I've heard, you know, plenty of sayings, you know, oh, this deer was a weird rack it was genetically inferior, I'll get this deer out of the herd. Or, hell it wasn't the biggest, but it was getting towards the end of the season. Or, you know, if I wouldn't have shot him, my neighbor would have and he wouldn't have made it through anyway. Well, all these stories are debunking that. Because these big mature deer that are getting killed are getting to that next age class. And it's because people are passing them. And if you're at that point where you want to better yourself, you want to get to that next level, you know, these are some stories that show that with patience and hard work and a little bit of planning, you can do it if that's what you want. So sit back and enjoy this week's episode. We're going to be talking with Dustin Adam, who is the president of Lenhartsville Fishing Game here in Southeast PA. And he has developed a passion and a drive for killing big mature buck. He's going to tell us the progression of how he came from just being an average Joe hunter following his dad in the woods to killing some big mature deer and doing it on a more consistent basis and he's going to go through his strategy is his progression to get to where he's at so sit back and we hope you enjoy it.
1: how we doing
2: pretty good so are you do, are good. you done cleaning up uh cleaning up after a fishing rodeo
1: oh my gosh yeah um <laughs> It's been a week. So this Whitetails event, um, it was something that was supposed to be held at another location because of COVID. It got, they asked if they could host it at our club. Now, originally we were supposed to have the rodeo on Sunday, um, but essentially this turned into having a banquet Saturday and then the rodeo Sunday. These banquets are pretty big. I mean, if you've been to like a Friends of the NRA or NWTF banquet, kind of similar, but they give away a lot of guns. So we had 178 guns being raffled off, um, like 200 people and we don't have a ton of space. So it was just all weekend was bananas. And then, you know, them dumping all of these trout into a pond that was pretty warm, didn't play too well. So, um, (laughs) I was just scooping them out and it's amazing how quickly they kind of just turned into mush. And uh, I'm wearing a lot of dead trout right now. It's uh, not a flattering fragrance, but I'm glad that you can't smell through zoom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. They should add that in the next update. <laughs> <laughs> I'll add it to the suggestion box, but uh, I don't that know. It sounds, how, how that sounds go. like a
2: good plan. I don't know how well that'll work. I don't know if it's something people would pay extra for or not.
1: Yeah, the premium version, you can get the snails. <laughs> <laughs> Good oh, lord. shucks.
2: Oh, shucks. So, um, tell us a little bit about uh, how you went from, you know, bow hunting into killing back-to-back, I mean, bruiser bucks. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, you shot a 10-pointer last year?
1: Uh, so last year, yeah, that buck was a 10, uh, all, all summer. I thought he was an 11, but his, one G two split didn't quite make it. And, uh, the year before I killed a 10 and, uh, that buck was uh, essentially, he was a mainframe nine with a split brow and last year's buck. I, I'm on a tear. I've killed now five mature Pennsylvania buck, and they all have a split brow on the left side. so we definitely got a genetic thing going on in the area but that's pretty sweet yeah it's it's been a wild couple years here and you know um, I'd like to call it luck but there's been a lot of hard work that goes into it as well as you guys well know
2: absolutely I mean let's face it um, bow hunting there's a major part that's luck but when you can consistently shoot a target deer there's there's more than luck just going on right
1: there Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, in a state where we've got a high deer density and we've also got a high hunter density, uh, there's a lot of guys out there that are going to get lucky sometimes. And sometimes as the guy putting in the work, you're not the guy that gets lucky. And that's kind of a, a heartbreak. And that was, was my story for about four years in a row. So two years ago, when I connected on my target bug, that was, that was kind of a huge moment of validation for me. And it really kind of changed, I think, my perspective on things a little bit. And it, you know, when you're searching for that validation for a lot of years and just coming up short, it was that breath of fresh air that kind of turned hunting into something that, that almost gives you anxiety to something that you can just relax and enjoy. And I'm sure you guys can can relate. Like when all of your friends have tagged out on these you know, beautiful buck and you're sitting there without, it kind of kills you a little bit. You start to go, what am I doing wrong? When really you might not be doing anything wrong. It's just the cards aren't falling your way. So when
2: did you start? focusing in that you were really trying to harvest a mature buck i mean first of all what what's your definition of a mature buck because i think that gets thrown around everywhere so i mean what what is your goal when you're setting yourself into the into hunting season and then when did you really start to hone in on that goal
1: yeah so i think in pennsylvania um you can absolutely call a three and a half year old a mature buck I'd rather not take a three and a half year old if, if I don't have to, um, I'm kind of with the last couple of years success. I'm at the point where I'll, I'll eat a tag. if mm-hmm. If that's kind of buck I'm hunting because I mean, those, those deer have potential beyond, beyond that. I mean, you get a four and a half year old in Pennsylvania, you, you, you do a stellar job and, you know, I, I think, I think what happened for me was, you know, as, as a young guy, I started in the outdoors when I was real young with my dad, you know, so I was shooting archery competitively at, at age eight and, you know, really kind of carried that into my first deer harvest was in South Carolina at age 10 because the mentor program didn't exist. Mm. Um, so went down there with a rifle and, and took a couple deer, one of which being my first buck, which was a massive four point. He still sits on my wall and it kind of, you know, reminds you where you came from, but I was nope. tickled, you know? And I think to that end, you know, when you see somebody out there who just took their first legal buck and they're over the moon, you know, whether that's your goal or not, you know, as hunters, we have to support one another and and that's admirable. I mean, Hey, if you're Amen. stoked, man, I'm stoked for you. You don't know anybody's backstory and, and you know what my standards are does they don't have to be standards for other people so yeah, that's the one thing i think that drives me a little wild when folks are defining what a target buck is or what a mature buck is you can't place that standard on everybody because everybody's a little bit different absolutely um, you can do what you you can to help educate folks um, but you there's a fine line between education and criticism and sometimes folks will confuse the two I mean in in the world we live in everybody's a little sensitive but <laughs> really in the 21st yeah. century we've you got know, sensitive. yeah <laughs> yeah man um believe it or not folks get offended nowadays <laughs> but uh, I think a lot of it's just presentation so um you know I was I was pretty much a rifle hunter then from age 12 to I'm going to say 16 17 and I took a couple buck hunting in Pennsylvania you know it's just kind of a family tradition and like my family didn't come from a whole lot. So we hunt, we were meat hunters, we yeah. hunted to put food on the table, because we didn't have a lot. So, you know, it's critical that we went out there every year and, and took down a couple dough. And if we took down something with antlers, that was a bonus. And um, I'll be honest, we hunted a high pressure area, neighbors pushed a lot of drives, when those deer came to us, the farm we hunted was hunted heavily. They got shot at a ton of times. They got into us in, in the wooded areas and we kind of cleaned things up, but it wasn't enjoyable. Like I actually walked away from hunting because I didn't like it. Mm. And it was for a long time it was something I could do with my dad and do with my family. And um, but it, but it wasn't, it just didn't feel pure. So I eventually went to college, met some guys at college that did you know, they were hunters and outdoorsmen. So like we go shoot squirrels and stuff on the weekends and kind of got me back into it a little bit and coming back from college, now I work as a financial advisor. So there's a lot of licensing involved and I had to do some study programs. And while I was doing all of that, I, I realized student loans don't pay themselves. Um, <laughs> and Bernie Sanders wasn't on the ticket yet. Um, so I had no hope <laughs> of him going away. I don't know if I'm allowed to get political on this or not, but I you did. Can do
2: whatever you want. This is free, but nobody's paying us to keep our mouth shut on certain <laughs> stuff.
1: So have at it, man. Bingo. All <laughs> right. But at the same time, if, uh, if at any point, zoom adds a smell feature, we should probably get royalties. Anyhow, <laughs> anyhow, um, yeah. So like I started working at Cabela's and in the meantime, I decided, you know, I kind of want to get back and. I never really took archery hunting seriously. And that first year out archery hunting, I was fortunate. I took a couple does the very first morning I ever went out to a tree stand with a bow. Um, I missed three times and I only had a three arrow quiver and I, that's the first time I've ever told that story. So, um, you know, (laughs) might as well do it to a large audience. Sure. But, um. Yeah, so I mean, it was kind of very humbling, very quick. And then I realized, wow, you, when you're archery hunting, you watch a lot of deer, but you don't get that many opportunities. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, I ended up taking a couple of doe early, and it was October 22nd. And um, I remember plain as day, it was, a, it was probably a two and a half year old seven point. And at that time, that was bigger than anything I'd really taken. And he was under the tree stand. I I emptied my pockets of all of the, the code red that I brought to the stand that morning, cause that's what was cheap. <laughs> and I was grunting at him and I was watching, you know, all the TV shows and they did that snort wheeze deal. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna try that. And this buck was going ballistic and eventually he just kind of worked away and I was frustrated and I, I threw every call at the book at him. But after I went through like a a snort wee sequence, I heard something behind me and um, had a a monster coming right down the wood line. And I just remember my only thought was, do not look at the antlers. Like, whoa, that's a big one. Do not look at the antlers. He sat behind a big oak tree. I drew, it was a 20 yard shot. and, And I popped him and I watched him fall over. And I was like, whoa, that just happened. Um, that ended up being a half rack cause G two or his main beam was broke off right after the G two on the one side, but his half score was 78. So oh, wow. he had seven scoreable on the one side and the other side looked like it would have been symmetrical, uh, just an absolute brute of a deer. I wish I would have had him aged, but at that point I was hooked. I was like, oh my gosh, I can do this. And it was that yeah. blind left thing. Like I was the lucky guy. I did no prep. I had no idea what I was doing, but I killed a mature Pennsylvania buck with a bow. And that was kind of cool. So how many years ago was that Dustin? That would have been 2000, 2013. Okay. So we'll say eight years ago.
0: Yep.
1: So in that following year, I got hired by the company I work for now, moved halfway across the country to St. Louis, Missouri. And I was living in St. Louis, well, suburb of St. Louis for about seven months, got to come back home. End of October It was October 26th. I drove 13 hours, arrived home at three o'clock in the morning at four 30, I put on my camo head to a tree stand, uh, morning hunt. I took a doe, went out that afternoon, took a second doe. And then the following morning I went out and I shot a 12 pointer, which I did get age, and that was a six-and-a-half-year-old 12-point. Wow. So I was like on this – you want to talk about beginner's luck. I still had no idea what I was doing, mind you. The 12-point was the same tree stand. I was watching a giant, throwing every call of the book at him. He looked right at me. I'm still calling. Like, I had no idea. Yep. And, you know, this other buck comes right out from underneath me. I think that was maybe an eight-yard shot. So, you know, cloud nine, I'm like, this hunting thing is easy. (laughs) Little did I know. So that was 2014. Little did I know the next couple of years were going to teach me that I was really, really wrong. So, you know, at that point, I guess I was hooked on archery, but I I thought I was good at it, but I had a lot to learn. Mm -hmm. So basically you're
2: hunting on what? Family farm, public land, um, you know, what's your... what? Up till this point, not really a whole lot of scouting going into it when I'm taking it.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, living in St. Louis, I wasn't running any cams. Uh, we, we were scouting in St. Louis. I'll tell you what, Missouri's got some slammer bucks as opposed to what we're used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, a couple couple private pieces, really small properties. So, um, you know, we hunt, now we hunt three properties. At that time, I was hunting two of the three. and you know, we're talking all of them being 50 acres or less with mm-hmm. maybe 10 of those 50 acres on both properties being wooded. The rest is all ag. Yeah. So small, small woodlots in the middle of ag. Uh, even now you take me to a big mature woods or a mountain, eh, you know, I, I've got an idea. I can look at topo maps and put some guesses together. and I've, That's something I've been working on in my hunt game, but it that's a different world to me. Hey, I've you been having it my whole life and I still don't got it all figured out. <laughs> yeah. A lot of that's right place, right time from what I'm gathering. I mean, you, you can find oak trees, you can, you can play the contours, but it's uh, a lot of that is, you know, there's some chance involved there. So. Certainly. So yeah. So, I, so, so
2: lead on to that progression of now you got to the point where you're starting to kill them, kill them a little bit more consistently. So, I mean, what's transpired from then till now?
1: Yeah. So here's, here's where things start to get, you know, I got served a big old slice of humble pie. So the next year is, is really when I got into things and started running cameras and you know, my dad ran a lot of trail cameras and you know, he'd get these giants, all these nocturnal giants, right? So you get these big old bucks that show up at night and that gets your heart pounding. And it was kind of like that. It's, so you, you can almost think of it like uh, like a freshman in college. So freshman in college, you're there pounding your chest, want to go chat up all the girls, you know, <laughs> whether they, you have a chance or not. So it's the same thing. Like these deer showing up on camera at night. There's no chance they're breaking daylight, but you know, you're pounding your chest and running in there regardless. And, um, ended up seeing a couple mature buck that year on the hoof. Uh, most of them 80 yards plus. And, uh, I, I remember, watching a show with Stan Potts and Stan's always saying there's a difference between seeing good buck and killing big buck. And I learned that's very true, very quickly. One of the, the buck I was chasing that year, I actually missed in rifle season. And I'll tell you as, as good as I am with the bow, I'm terrible rifle shot. I just, it's, it's not my thing. All right that was a heartbreak yeah, you, got,
2: you got trigger yanker mcgee over here sitting next to me
1: <laughs> oh yeah i'll punch that trigger all day you know, iron mike tyson has nothing on my p- trigger punching <laughs> abilities but anyhow um ended up one of the neighbor neighboring properties that buck got shot the two days after i missed it so that was kind of my first dose of heartbreak and i ate my buck tag that year the following year found another great deer uh, and this one was, was a longer story. So the, the buck I killed two years ago, we nicknamed junior because he was offspring of this buck. I mean, the, the racks were the same shape. Only this yeah. one was a 10 point that ended up scoring when he was taking 152 inches. So in Pennsylvania, that's a solid, that's a pretty good buck. You don't get too Absolutely. many that make it that far. That's
2: actually a really big buck. Yep. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yep. So, you know, that was a buck, um, my fiance and I had, had seen and, and, watched him grow and I have video in the stand of, of, him 40 yards away and just some thick stuff and I'm grunting at him. And, you know, of, of course that's not doing any good, uh, mature buck it, it's, they've heard it all. They've heard it mm-hmm. all twice. it do so, get that
2: big by being stupid, man.
1: Yeah. So that buck broke my heart all year and it was Thanksgiving day. It was the first year because we hunt in, uh, an area that's actually five C. So it was Thanksgiving day and I, I'm out in a stand and I'm watching four buck chase one small doe. So this is probably the, maybe the second round mm-hmm. of breeding and chasing. And this small doe must've come in and, and four buck are chasing her. and One of them is this giant ten. So. I'm sitting there watching them at about 120 yards. And I'm thinking, I've got to make a move. I'm looking at the way the wind's going. I've got a logging trail that I can sneak to through a standing cornfield. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm going for this. I'm going to sneak through the cornfield, get on the logging road, the wind's in my favor. And I did that. And I got to this this thick pocket, just sitting there. I, I'm kneeling down. I At that point I had no plan. So I got close and that was, as far as my plan went and this doe comes barreling and almost runs me over. She runs into the top cam of my bow as I'm kneeling down. She bounces back and just stares at me. Next thing I know, I I hear all this crashing. I'm like, oh my gosh, here he comes. And to that point, everything I've ever hunted was out of a tree stand. This is my first encounter with a deer from the ground. So this deer comes and I just see tall tines and I'm like, oh man, this is him. This is him. And he comes to about 20 yards, locks him up, stomps around a little, stares at me, does the head fake and starts walking away. He's quartering away. And I, I drew, dropped the pin on his last rib, squeezed it. Everything was perfect. He took off. I was elated, called my dad. I'm like, dad, I just, I got the big 10. I got him. Like, you're never going to believe this. I, I stalked him. I got down this was insane. So dad shows up. Meanwhile, we're supposed to be at grandma's for Thanksgiving dinner. So this is, you know, kind of classic. This is setting the stage for the rest of my life. Um, And, you know, we go and and we got blood and we're following it, following it. It's not great blood, but I knew I hit him well. And my dad looks up ahead and goes, there's your buck. That ain't the big 10. It's like, what do you mean? That's not the big 10. And we walked up and, and honestly, this is probably the best year and a half old buck I've ever seen perfect frame the body was tiny the antlers oh, in respect were, were good he's probably 110 inch eight pointer wow and i i don't think i've ever been more sick <laughs> two days later rifle opens and i'm refreshing hunting pennsylvania page daily and lo and behold I, I see the buck i was chasing i know the guy who got him now i know him well and i was I, at the time I I didn't know him as well, but I sent him a message and I was like, Hey man, I got to know, where was that buck taken? So it was about a mile the way the crow flies from where I saw him two days prior, just absolutely crazy. And that was my second dose of heartbreak, um, went two more years. I out of frustration the following year. I took a young buck and I think that's when I really decided, you know, you don't have to fill all your tags. Sure. And that's, that's a real tough realization. And I think, especially if you grew up in a hunting family, because the generation ahead of us is is very different in their thought, you know, Absolutely. there it's about, I got to fill all my tags. So it's hard to, to break that when that's what you've been taught your whole life. Yeah. It's funny you say that I have <clears throat> so in here at the bow shop of guys come in here all the time, you know, the first thing
2: they ask, did you fill your buck tag yet? You know, that's it, just the mentality. You get that buck tag filled, and, you know, no matter, you know, as long as it's a legal buck, that's, that's, uh, and you know, I'm not saying there's anything right or wrong about that, but that's interesting. You pointed that out.
1: Yeah. It's, it's just, I think it's a generational thing. It's not a bad yep. thing. Yep. Um. Especially growing up because like I said, we were meat hunters. So filling the tags was important. And that was before you could get all these doe tags. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, now I'm, I'm very much the opposite. And watch the show uh, Yellowstone. I think most folks probably do. Um, anybody who's ever really wanted to be a cowboy in Montana does anyway. Hmm. Um, but in one of the seasons, they were teaching the, the, the little guy to hunt. And I, I love what he said because he was They were on a muley, I think, at the time. And he was talking to the young guy and he said, you know, pulling that trigger is a big responsibility because you're taking a life. And, and once you pull that trigger, you can't take it back. And I think that really kind of resonated with me and and my approach now, because, you know, you see guys all the time who, Hey, I shot this buck and he's not my best. And they start making excuses. And honestly, if, if that's going to be the way that you have to justify it, in my opinion, you made a mistake and you sold yourself short and you made a bad decision. If you've got to justify your kill, you made a bad decision. If you're pumped about it, That's fine. I don't care what the deer looks like, but if you're trying to justify it to me, it wasn't a good call
2: spot on. And I think that's the whole point of why we want to do this in the first place. You know, that that's been exactly what we've heard in, in the state of Pennsylvania for a long time. don't get me wrong. I mean, we had over a million hunters at one point, I think we're at 950,000 right now, but you know, it was a target rich environment and everybody filled their tags and there's nothing wrong with that, but there's a lot of people that are, are probably where you and I and Devon were, you know, at one point in our hunting career where we wanted to fill that buck tag, but we knew if we let that deer go, it would get bigger. And then you come up with all these excuses. Well, if I don't shoot it, then the neighbor's going to shoot it. and They're never going to make it. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, if you're happy shooting that deer, by all means, pull the trigger because that's why we hunt. But the whole point of having this discussion and, and tell, talking about your trials and tribulations over the past few years leading up to these awesome buck that you killed is just perseverance in that, hey, if, if, you, if you do things the right way, if you want to shoot and harvest big mature deer, it can be done with a little bit of hard work, a little bit of luck. And uh, a lot of the, a lot of the carts just falling into place, but it's,
1: it's getting better all the time. Amen. Amen, man. And, you know, it, it, it's really hard to be out there, especially guys like us who put their time in. So I'm sure you guys have hundreds of hours in the woods already prepping for deer season. I, I wish not, not there like I normally
2: you. do. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Not like last year, but yeah, but you got a little one now, right? a
1: little one works getting busy, you
2: know, all that stuff, but Hey, we're going
1: to make the most of it as work slows up. There you go. Yeah, man. I mean, life takes over. Life is what happens when you're making other plans. So you got to take care of the family first. And I'll tell you from being a guy who, who's got a, my fiance's son in the woods, you know, I hunt with him a lot. Um, And I, of course I hunt with her. It only becomes more rewarding over time. So eventually your focus will shift a lot from trying to harvest those big buck yourself to just enjoying the time out with them. And, uh, it's a different kind of rewarding, but it really changes the way you look at things. So.
2: Absolutely.
1: You got me on the edge.
2: You got me on the edge of my seat here. So I'm, I'm anxious (laughs) to hear. So two years ago was when you killed this real big one, right?
1: Yeah. So, um, three years go by and eight tag soup twice and got frustrated and shot a buck. I shouldn't uh, on the other year. And like I said, that's really what changed my, my mindset. Now in that third year, um, that was the first year we really had my fiance's son out and he's the luckiest little dude ever. Um, we got him a, a raven crossbow. And I know there's a bunch of guys in the podcast that just went, Oh no, a crossbow, but he's a kid. I mean, <laughs> yes. come on now. Um, and and honestly, the, the mentor program, being able to use a crossbow is so nice. You know, there's no recoil. You can get these kids out there in the best time of the year. And no oppositional
2: on this, this end for me. Yep. For sure. Yeah.
1: uh, Some of my, my friends are hardcore anti-crossbow guys. And again, there we're cannibalizing ourselves. It's, it's not a good thing, but anyhow. Um, so that was cool because my fiance got him out. It was, he had like an hour and a half after school one day. So she got him out real fast and I was hunting a a food plot we planned every year. And fortunately I was up there and could let them know, you know, Hey, coast is clear. You're good to get up here. Um, and he ended up hunting for about 40 minutes that night before shooting an 18 inch eight pointer. So it's his first buck ever, um, 40 yards and he stoned it. And that experience was just like, game-changing because i got to watch the whole thing unfold she was there with him the coach and threw it and later that year in rifle season she shot her best buck ever which uh was about a, that was a four-year-old eight point as well shortened the points didn't really score well like 120 inch deer but just a bruiser i can tell you from dragging it i that's one of the biggest deer i've ever <laughs> drugged for sure um but anyway, so that was rewarding. And I had some chances at some good buck that year. And I let them walk simply because I, I couldn't take anything less than what she got, or I'd never hear the end of it. Um <laughs> and there were some good ones running. So, you know, I figured we had meat in the freezer and there's no reason to push it. So three years go by and and I'm starting to question myself at that point. But that year, we had a buck on camera and He was kind of this, this lopsided nine pointer and the the big 10 from three years prior, he, in the year prior to being a giant 10 was had almost the exact same rack. So I started calling this Buck junior because I, I knew, you know, the frame was the same and I was just really excited to see him blow up. And a couple of times during that season, I saw him actually the, the opening day of that season. I did not see a single deer in my evening set. And as I was going back to my truck, I, I rounded the corner of a cornfield and he was standing 20 yards from it. Wow. And just, you know, we locked eyes and I'm like, man, what an end to the first day of our tree season. So this deer and I built a little bit of a rapport and I thought about hunting him a couple of times because I knew he was a three-year-old. And, you know, I was in a couple year drought and trying to justify myself, but I really wanted him to make it. So ended up getting trail camera pictures of him in January. So I knew he made it. And then that following fall, he started showing up in his home range again, which was pretty cool um, to see him on camera. I mean, I was, I was like an eight year old on Christmas. I went ballistic and my fiance is like, Hey, calm down. Like, no, no, no. You don't understand. Like, this is a big deal. Like I'm infatuated with this deer. Mm -hmm. So got to watch him all summer. And, uh, October rolls around and he disappears and it kind of broke my heart a little bit. And eventually I started getting some trail camera pictures, whispered down the alley to me from one of the neighbors and it was him. So I knew he was still local, but I was worried because he was on their property. Now growing up and and hunting pressured land. So if there's two things to the best hunting lessons, I think I learned from my dad. The first one is you hunt where the deer are. If you're hunting where the deer aren't, you're going to be frustrated. So find the deer and hunt where they are. The second one was when pressure gets high, you need to use other hunters to your advantage. So any more, I mean, I can tell you this year, uh, I was driving the other day and saw a giant on one of the neighbor properties. I told that neighbor that there was a giant in there. Why? Cause I want him to go in there with his trail cameras and, and put scent everywhere. And I want that deer to come over to the property we hunt. Um, I just know him too well. And I know he's going to do that. So, um, yeah, sometimes you got to use the other hunters to your advantage, yep. but anyhow, this, this buck went AWOL and it was October. It was October 30th. And I remember this specifically because we're supposed to be going trick-or-treating. It was the trick-or-treat night in, in town. And my fiance's texting me because we're supposed to be going. And I ran out to the blind that night. And oh, it's getting dark. And right like that, I see a big old body come into the food plot. And lo and behold, it's him. And like I'm losing my mind. Now, about a week prior to that, all of our normal buck that were showing up disappeared off trail cameras. And we had no idea why. And I checked trail cameras after that night and I realized it's because he moved into the area and they all made themselves spars. Wow. Now, what I will say we've realized, and Mitch, I know I talked to you about this a little bit is, is deer definitely have migratory patterns. So I can show you trail camera pictures from September's of past mm-hmm. and you'll see deer in September year after year and you'll see them grow, but they're not there in October. And you see deer in October year over year, and you can watch them grow and become familiar. They're not always the same ones that are there in November. And then in January, you get a whole new crop in. And that was kind of like a a humbling realization to realize, you know, these deer do migrate. And if you got a deer that's normally visible early, Mitch, I I listened to your buck story, you got to hunt them early. Mm -hmm. But this guy went AWOL and, and later I found out he kind of did a big loop around the area and uh, circled back to our food plot. And it was too late to get shot that night. I had him at 40 yards and I I drew twice and just didn't feel good about it. I was sick to my stomach and I ended up sitting there for an hour and 45 minutes till I was sure he was gone um, before I snuck out and didn't bust him or anything. Now this was also about the time that cell cams were becoming popular and I'll tell you, if you're trying to hunt a specific big buck you need to run cell cameras or you need to be the luckiest person alive so that night i I ordered my first fleet of cell cams and i'm I'm putting them out it was november 4th november 4th in the morning i woke up and i had trail camera picture of him back at his home turf so i got pretty jacked up the wind was wrong so I hunted a different set that morning on a different property just because I didn't want to go in and, and booger it up. And that morning I saw another shooter buck and I probably could have made a shot at him, but I, I just didn't want to chance it. So that night, the wind was still wrong. I hung a couple sets just to hunt this buck this that year and uh, the wind was wrong for them. So I went to an old stand that my dad actually hung 20 years prior and, and I replaced the tree stand and, and whatnot. But um it, it was just an old stand. It was in in the oaks on a nice little bench in the middle of the woods. And I figured, you know what? It's a nice night. I know where he's bedded. It's not far from here. What the heck? I'll sit here. So I sat that night. I was barely on stands, like two o'clock. And in from the cornfield, filters a doe with two button buck pawns. And I'd seen her many times that year. Now I've got this philosophy that when you have a doe with twin button buck fawns that doe's got to go. Some folks don't like taking does with fawns. Once those fawns are old enough especially if they're button bucks, that doe's on my hit list. And, and the, reason the best being, time
2: is to shoot a doe when she's standing in front of you.
1: Amen. So <laughs> no um I'm taking a tangent here. I know I'm talking a lot. So if you guys, if I'm talking, no, too have much, at it. I'm Wyoming, loving it. I'm, I'm reveling
2: in it, man. We're just listening. Yep. Go ahead.
1: So I listened to a, a speaker a while back and every spring you go through about a two week stretch where you see deer hit all over the road. It's almost as bad as the rut. And most of those buck are either going to be doe or they're going to be button buck. You're almost never going to see a mature buck. And the reason is Penn state did a study on this and they collared some deer doe will chase off their button buck fawns up to five miles away to prevent them from coming back and breeding them that fall so if you've got button buck on your property and you want them to stay there mama's got to go or she's going to chase them away so anytime i see a doe with twin button buck fawns sorry mama if you're close enough you got to go because i want those button bucks to grow up right here and if they get orphaned they're going to grow up right here um that's just a you know something i absorbed years ago and i stand by it and i'll tell you my buck to dough ratio is getting better i don't know if it's because we take a lot of dough or or because you know we we practice that so um, a lot of factors for that dough ratio but yeah
2: that's interesting
1: yeah it's just that i like i said i don't know how much of that is true but i practice it so this dough rolls in and it's early and i'm sitting there and she's 15 yards in front of me I'm just like no, I can't. I, I know this bucks in here. I'm not going to do it. And then all of the past years of failure have kind of just start rolling through my head. And I'm sitting there going, "Yeah, I'm not I'm not going to see this buck." Who am I kidding? And eventually, I convinced myself that if she fed past me and started to get to the downhill slope and gave me too good of a shot, well, she was going to get it because she'd run straight down the hill and down to, towards where I was parked. And it'd be an easy drag. So lo and behold, she did that, and I smoked her. Um, about 25 yards, watched her pile up. She piled up like 20 yards from my truck. It was the easiest drag ever. And, uh, got out of the tree stand, went down tug her. And I look at my watch and it's like three 30 says, so okay, I got plenty of time. I'm going to go back up on stand. What the heck? So I walked back up and it was a breezy day. I had a crosswind, some up on an acorn flat. Um, bedding is down in a valley in front of me Okay. and had some scent out cause I figured as you know, as the night settles here, the thermals, even though I've got a neutral wind, thermals are going to take that scent downhill. I've got to play the game a little bit here. I don't want to get busted, but maybe the scent can play in my favor. Absolutely. So sun starts going down. I'm just kind of like, it was kind of one of those surreal moments where you just kind of taking it and enjoying being outside and watching the sunset. Some of my couple favorite acres on earth. And, uh, I said, you know what? I got like a half hour here. I'm going to go through a rattling sequence and a grunt sequence. We'll see what happens. So I did that. A couple minutes go by. Nothing's really happened. So I figured, meh. All right. Let's just watch the sunset. So watching the sunset and just kind of, you know, scanning here and there. And I heard brush behind me. And at first, I didn't think anything of it. Eventually, I turned. And here comes this wall of points rolling up over the hill. Now... (laughs) junior had his g2s were 11 inches his g3s were nine so just a tall tight rack i think he only had like a 14 inch spread but um you know you see a buck coming up just thrashing i mean that's a surreal moment he's just like a possessed beast rolling up over thrashing everything in front of him and he's coming right at me so i you know, did that little shuffle step in the tree stand, you know, where your feet are together and you just kind of shuffle and, and turn sideways like a penguin would.
2: Absolutely.
1: And I grabbed the bow and I'm I'm staring at him. I'm going, Oh God, he's coming right at me. He's coming right at me. And he's, he's at 30 yards and then 20 and then 15 and then 10. And then he he's at about six yards from the bottom of the tree stand. And he did exactly what you don't want him to do. And he looked right up at me. And I can't even explain, you know, what you're feeling in that moment. <laughs> um, Maybe you guys have been through that moment, but older, like your heart stops. Yeah, for sure. And I'm like, oh no, this is it. Like it's over. I don't have a shot at him. He's coming dead on at me. He's just staring at me. And, it, and he went from just being this you know, possessed beast to just, it was the softest stare down I think I've ever had. And it lasted for what seemed like ages. And eventually he, kind of looked away downhill. Then he was just kind of poking around for a little. Then he looked up at me again and I'm like, Oh gosh, second time. Like I'm just waiting for this guy to run out of my life and my heart to be broken. Um, luckily I was strapped to the tree. So if I jumped, it wouldn't have been too bad, (laughs) but you know, and again, you know, he just stares at me and then he looks down the other way. He looks up a third time and I'm, I'm just like dude just run away like game's over come on and he kind of starts to turn so at this point he's quartered to me maybe about 40 degrees and i'm like it's it's now or never and he looks up one more time and in between those two i, I drew and I, he was so close now shooting 3d a lot i don't know if you guys shoot 3d but I set up courses at the fishing game where I'm a president and I'll always throw out a couple targets at like five or eight yards just to mess with guys because yeah, sure. your pins don't come together with the arrow at that distance. Yep. So luckily I'd, I'd practice that a little bit and I'm like, man, he's so close. And this is so straight down. I'm threading the needle. I got to miss the spine, but if I do, I'm getting everything, you know, I'm getting lungs, I'm getting heart. It, this is, this is money. So I settle in squeeze off and I he ran off, he, he took off right away. I could tell he was, he was hit, but I could see my arrow sticking out of his back. And I'm like, oh man, it didn't look like I got enough penetration. I just had a shot and I, I blew it. Like, what am I doing? And I was hysterical, um, without an exit. I knew there wasn't going to be a blood trail. Cause I, the entrance was high. So I'm calling people with tracking dogs I'm calling all my buddies. I'm, I'm a basket case.
2: Yeah. Been there
1: yeah so made the call to my fiance who's hunting with with her son and i'm like you're never gonna guess what happened she goes oh my gosh you saw junior i'm like i just shot junior she goes oh my gosh like she's getting pumped i'm like no no it's it's not a good thing this this is not good and i explained she's like no it's fine just relax go get down why don't you drag the dough to your truck a while we'll come over and we'll all go look together so i crawled down out of the you know, I, I wanted to go see if I found any blood or kick up marks or whatever I could find just to try to mark it. So I had a reference point. And as I'm climbing down a tree, I just hear splashing below me. And I didn't really think much of it. I thought maybe I, I spooked another deer and they were running through the creek below me. I didn't think of anything of it. So I get down and I can't find any blood and I'm beside myself and she comes over and she's like, well, let's just go march in there and look. Like, no, we can't do that. I, I want to let this deer go overnight and we're arguing. And I, I guess Mitch, you're married, so you can, you can test to this eventually just realize you just shut up and listen. That's the best thing for you overall. <laughs> um, and you know, that's, that's what I did at this point. So, you know, as we're going back and forth, she got a little ticked off. She's like, I'm going home. So I said, let's just walk up the road. So walk up the road and, you know, she reminded me several times, you've got a lighted knock and our best chance of seeing that is right now because it's dark. So we're walking up the road and we're about to just give up because I'm convinced we need to let this deer go overnight. And her little guy goes, Dusty, right there is your knock. I was like, what do you mean? And it was a strobing nocturnal. So I could see it blinking and I like lost my mind. So I'm sitting there going, okay, either this arrow came out or it's still in him. If it's still in him, maybe he's alive, maybe he's not. So we let him go for like an hour and a half. And eventually I I decided, okay, I'm going to go in and just, you know, if it is him and he's bedded and I bump him, at least I know he's alive and I know where to look. But at that point, coyotes were howling in the near distance. I just, I couldn't let it go. So I walk in, I got to about 40 yards and the knock didn't move. And uh, I decided, okay, I'm going to step on a heavy stick, break it. And I'm going to shine my red light in that direction. And if eyes meet me, well, then I know he's still alive and the, he's still there with the arrow. And I did that, no eyes. So I'm like, okay, there's just an arrow or he's dead. And uh, at that point, my dad showed up because I called him and I think he sensed I need some moral support and uh, took a couple steps up and eventually I saw a white belly and I just lost my mind. So I went up and Junior ended up you know he scored uh, around 140 inches so not as big as his dad but to it's me that was bruiser. just that yeah that was just that validation you know hey it's not you you're not a goofball like you you know what you're doing and that was it was just the next morning walking out into the woods cuz i had off that whole week like it was just such a sweet feeling but it the is. the crazy part about that whole thing was when when i addressed him I'd never seen it before, but his entire heart was lined in a green pus and both rib cages were, and some Googling afterwards Mm. told me he had pneumonia. And when it gets that bad, where it's lining their heart, they typically don't make the winter. So it was kind of like, like surreal moment to know, like, if I didn't take him, he would have been one that went missing. Well, th- and, that just
2: answers it though. That he, he committed suicide then is what he did.
1: Well, that's yeah. He was, <laughs> That was that soft <laughs> stare down. He was like, come on, buddy. I can't do this myself. <laughs> oh, but that's, it's, that's awesome. So that was, that was two years ago. And this past year was exactly the opposite. So. The buck I killed this past year, um, send in the tooth off of, I never sent in a tooth off junior. I should have, but I know he was four and a half just because okay. I had history with him every year. Um, buck this past year was five and a half, uh, heavy antlered eight-point mainframe with split G2s and a split brow. Um he was on camera all summer and I kept talking myself into and out of shooting him because I'm like, there's no way that deer is four years old plus. He just kind of looked thin until i saw him on september 25th farmer took off a couple rows of corn i'm sitting there just enjoying the scenery it was kind of that point of night where it starts to get dark and i can always see a little bit more through my binos than i can with the bare eye so i'm sitting got the wind in my favor and this little fence line above an alfalfa field and was more there as an observation set because I took a doe out of the same tree stand like a week prior. And I just, I didn't think I was going to see much, mm-hmm. but I threw up the binoculars just to kind of scan back where the, this corn was cut. And as I threw them up, like I could not, if I was doing it intentionally, I could not get a deer in the frame more Perfect. I throw them up and there's a deer in the frame. And I was what it, like my brain was like frozen. There's, there was no deer there a second ago. What's going on? Oh my gosh that's a buck oh my gosh there's a split you too. like i know that deer and all summer this deer would just like posture up to the camera and he just always looked like angry and, and ticked off so we nicknamed him toro and um this deer is kind of poking around at the edge of the corn just kind of feeding his way towards me and he starts turning and i realize if he hits that opening i'm gonna have a shot so he turns and hits the opening i draw on him and I'm, coming up off the, the corn, but it's getting kind of dark. I keep trying to find his armpit. I just can't find it. So he walks out of the opening and then he's poking around and poking around. Another buck comes out and they're walking their way straight, straight at me again. And, um, I'm like, okay, well, if, if he keeps coming, he's going to be at 15 yards right behind me at the edge of this cut corn. this is a money shot. And he got there and I drew again. And I, I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't feel good about it. And at that time I had a two power lens in and a, a clarifier because I shoot target archery too. So it's, I, I just always feel better having some magnification.
2: So you fell into that trap as well. Cause I fell into yeah. that trap, I fell oh. into that trap about two years ago, just oh so, man, it's I, surreal when you're shooting, when you're shooting lights out, and you just think, why can't I use this for hunting?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, it's only two power, right? Well, I I could not find this deer. And I'm like, as soon as I saw him, I realized, no, this is not a three and a half year old. This is a mature deer. He's got mass out the wazoo and he did. He had way more mass than Junior did. Um, I think he's like four inches all the way around. It was a heavy Um, deer. Absolutely. Heavy. Yeah. So I realized, no, this is a mature deer. I didn't get a shot at him and same deal, you know, he fed out behind me and I, I ended up waiting probably two hours to get down that night, texting my fiance and telling her I'm a bonehead. I, actually, I passed the time by taking my Allen wrench out of my backpack and pulling my clarifier out. I took my lens out. I was, I was just so angry. So that was September 25th, October 5th. I went back to the same stand. I wasn't going to go out that night. But Brandy was out with Wayland and I figured, you know, I'm going to be out. If they get something, at least I'm out. Um, I've got this fence line set. I've got a good wind. I can get to it without busting anything. And it's just kind of one of those stands where you can sneak to it and and not bugger anything up. It's on the perimeter of the property and you're hunting in. So, so I figured what the stands. Heck. Yeah, Yeah. And most of the time you're going to see deer at a distance out of that stand. And it's hard to get him close, but it was working that year. So I figured what the heck. So I went back there and I'm sitting there. I'm not seeing a deer, not seeing a deer. And I'm texting one of my buddies at the time and he's saying the same thing. Like, I'm not seeing anything. Next thing you know, I went, Oh, deer out in the field. Okay. There's another one, 27 does and two buck ended oh. up rolling out. And I'm like, where are these all coming from? Well, I realized then the neighbor kids were out on their ATVs and they must have pushed out everything in that woods. So all these deer out in the field, two young bucks start brawling. And I got video of it. It's, it's really cool. Cause the sun's kind of starting to go down a little bit. These little buck are banging their heads together. And I'm just watching this all happen. And right like that, I, I hear this thrashing about 10 yards in front of me. Now I'm in a little fence line. The woods is, uh, maybe, let's call it 20 yards in front of me. Um, I hear this thrashing and I see a split G2. So this buck comes out right at, right below me and he's just thrashing these scrapes. He's watching these two young bucks, clearly pretty pissed off. And I, I'm losing it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. Like he's going to work his way out to them. This is going to happen. So I grab my bow and, and in the process of doing so, the broad head clipped a limb and it compressed enough to set up this strobing nocturnal <laughs> so this knock is blinking I'm like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get busted this this isn't the way it's gonna happen so I pulled the knock out pull another knock out of one of my arrows in my quiver put that knock in re knock it latch my release
2: And the of process I went on in this
1: process I, oh my gosh it, this is this is just poetry emotion I, I can't tell you um so i'm watching it he's working these scrapes eventually he gets to the point where i could spit on him he's that close and i i realized he's got to work his way out in the field for this to work and he did he just starts going right at these two young buck quartering away about eight yards i put it on him and drill him and, and that one was way different you know i knew i hit him hard his tail tucked getting lower to the ground heard him crash in the woods so that was pretty cool because I, I got to make the call again. The little guy answered the phone. He's like, Dusty, you got a good one, didn't you? You wouldn't call us otherwise. And I was like, yeah, man, I just, I hammered a good one. So that was really cool. It was nice because of course, with like a split custody situation. We don't always have Waylon, but he got to be there for both Buck and, you know, you let them follow the blood trail and, and be there with you. And that was super cool. It's a special
2: um, moment when you can share it with family. Absolutely.
1: Amen, man. But like, I think it made me realize more than anything that like I enjoy. So when you really get into hunting, as crazy as it sounds, and you guys may be able to attest this, like the grind and the misery is the part you love the most. And not having that, not being able to be miserable and torment myself the rest of the year, left me feeling kind of unfulfilled. I was grateful, but you know, it, it all kind of happens so fast. And I, I felt like I didn't really work for that one. And um, I don't know, it just makes you appreciate being able to be out there all the more, I think. It's
2: just such a different atmosphere than what we were talking about earlier this evening with, you know, that mindset of you got to go out and fill your tag. And it was that mindset of you pretty much have two weeks of rifle season to do it, And, you know, you're bow hunting and you're culminating that from about September 15th until the close of the season, which is at the end of January. Um, yeah. And it's just a different world. I mean, it's, it really is a marathon, not a sprint.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a struggle that makes it sweet. And to, to people who've never done it, they'll never understand. And to folks who may be just starting, it might still be hard to understand. But over time, you know, just spending all of that time outside and, and you know, being with those animals. Like that's, that's probably one thing I think that's most misconceived about hunters is like that, that age old image, you know, you, you got a guy slinging a beer in his, you know, pickup truck with a deer shop to the front of it and rolling down the road. I feel like, like every that's, that's,
2: coffee shop in Northern Pennsylvania had pictures of that from the past.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and they were all real, um, <laughs> that's and that's kind of the culture in Pennsylvania so you got to appreciate living in a state where they give us off for the first day of buck season because the kids aren't coming in anyway and they realize the kids aren't showing up on the second day either (laughs) um you got to appreciate that but with that heritage I mean come some of those stereotypes and I think as hunters it's kind of our job to defeat that in a way and, and and educate people and You know, there's nobody who loves deer more than deer hunters. And I don't know about you guys, but like when, when that, when you close that book on a deer, it's a, it's kind of a sad moment. And anytime I think I take a deer, it's kind of a upsetting and and you have that respect and that reverence and you go through all those feelings of like remorse but you, you know we're not depending we're not depending on somebody else to put the blood on their hands and put food on our table we're taking that responsibility ourselves, and it's a it's a big responsibility like i said pulling that trigger you can't take it back and it's it's a hard thing to do but you realize that you know what's what's the consequence of not doing it these deer are going to become overpopulated they're going to browse things out they'll end up being malnourished, maybe disease sets in because mother nature takes care of overpopulation itself. And, you know, ultimately the demise of those animals is going to be much worse. Maybe they get hit on the road because they're overpopulated. Maybe they're trying, maybe they starve, maybe pneumonia sets in or EHD or CWD as hunters keeping those populations in check. And especially if you're, if you're doing things right, you're taking enough dough to keep the buck to dough ratio in check. You know, so that there's not as much social stress, and these buck aren't running themselves to death trying to get the dough's bread. You know, if you're taking That's a those whole mature podcast members, in and it of itself, yeah, man, I could talk for days on that stuff. But if you're doing your part, you know, you're you're not only being responsible for putting the food on your table, but but you're helping that population. You're feeding them all year. Um, it's it's a big responsibility, and when you look at it that way, and if you're passionate about it, you can present it that way. No, that gives, that gives a whole new meaning to hunting. And when you've got those three camps and you got the people that love hunting and that do it, you got the people that hate hunting and everything about it. And you've got people that are neutral. If you can pull anybody from those other two camps, even one, one ounce in the opposite direction, you're doing your job and you're a good representation to the sport. But if we're cannibalizing one another and you know putting out a bad image it, it only makes that argument against hunting stronger so you know it, it's it's that kind of thing where there's a lot of responsibility that goes with it and, and we're fortunate to understand it we're fortunate to be in the spot we're in so kind of have to own that
2: Hey, man, that's a great part of being in america you want know, to think what, what i love so much about your story and not just your story of you know The success of killing mature deer but I love the the breakdown of how you've matured as a deer hunter because you know like we said the whole point of this is is not to showcase that you know big bucks are the only way to go that that's not even close but you know you've you've experienced that thrill from the beginning until where you're at now and it's only grown as you've pushed yourself harder and you know not every deer hunter is going to have you know i i compare myself to uh you know back when i played football you know i i played football in school all through you know high school and into college and i i was i was never that great i mean i did it because it was the thing to do and you're never going to get these days back so you might as well try it and i had fun but i mean you talk about all the extra stuff and the time you put into it uh, that wasn't me, and that made some of my teammates go absolutely berserk because I mean they just ate, sleep, and and breathe it, um, and, and it, it flips back to that in deer hunting. I mean just because you and I eat, sleep, and breathe white-tailed deer, and we want to be the best deer hunters we can, and want to push ourselves to be, you know. Uh, harvesting the best that we can it, it doesn't work like that for everybody so the, the point is like for for those who listen to this and they're somewhere in the middle of going to deer camp and shooting the first legal buck and you know they're not shooting mature buck but they love to you know it can be done if that's what you want and and you know you're a testament to that in how you've progressed and matured as a hunter i think some of the things you I take away from your whole conversation tonight is just your, your perseverance for sure, but learning how there's, there's a time to be patient and not overpressure, but then at the same time, you know, you learning to profile some of those deer and seeing that pattern of figuring out when they're coming in, whether it's, you know, this specific week in October, as you've had the privilege to see that deer grow year after year, Striking when the iron's hot. I mean, it's a fine balance and that's that's what makes it so fun.
1: Yeah, man. And, and there's times of the year, you know, that first week in, in November when things get hot, those are the times you can afford sometimes take some chances and bust in on those areas that normally you, you decide you shouldn't touch. And I, I've learned that a lot too. Uh, there's a general discipline to the whole thing. And I've learned from, like everybody, talking to other guys, you know, I got some questions, you know, I'll reach out to, to guys like like Cole or Timmy or, or, you know, I know we talked a little bit about some of those um, guys the other day. And I think you're going to have some on the podcast, which, you know, they're all a wealth of knowledge. But, you know, you ask those questions and the guys like Cole, like Cole's a surgeon, man. He'll sit back and wait till the time is right. And half the time it's in rifle season when pressure is everywhere except where he's, you know, let things cool down. And he'll go in there one time and, and take a buck with a bow in the middle of rifle season in Pennsylvania, like and a mature buck and it can be done, but and you don't have give to all the good details
2: away. Cause he's coming on next.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I spoiled everything already, but Cole, like I said, he's one guy I reach out to all the time and, and Timmy, and, and hopefully you can get some of those guys on here. I don't know how you chose me. I mean, obviously, I, I think my journey is has been maybe a, a nice story. And obviously, you know, I'm pretty passionate about it and can talk about management till the sun comes up. But I'm grateful that you guys invited me on here. It's It's been fun. We're,
2: we're glad you came on, man. It's been a blast. I, I really appreciate everything you shared with us
1: tonight. Yeah, absolutely. And if there's anything I can, like, leave you guys with or leave the listeners with, what I will say is, you know, if this is, if hunting is something you're truly passionate about, there's nothing more rewarding than passing that on. So being president over at Lenhartsville Fishing Game, you know, our motto is, is, pass down your passions. And we got a big focus on youth involvement because, you know, if kids don't take to this, we have no future, but it doesn't have to be kids. You know, a lot of folks, you'll bump into folks at work or, you know, you might have, you know, family or or whatnot, or or folks that they're not against hunting. They just were never introduced to it. And if they hear you talk about it and and you're truly passionate and ethical in what you do, they, they might show some interest. And if you can get them out in the woods just once, that's all it might take to get them hooked. And if suddenly you've converted somebody to that, from that middle ground over to the, you know, the, the pro hunting side, or if, if you've even brought somebody from the anti hunting side to a neutral stance where they and just understand why we do what we do. You've you've helped the sport overall. And you're doing something bigger than just you know for yourself and your own successes. So, you know, don't don't treat this as just something we do and, and you know, who we are, but you know, treat it as an opportunity. And if we want to have a future and we want our kids to enjoy this in the future, we've got to be that image and, and we've got to be the face of it and you can really define where this goes. I think we've seen a lot of that change in our generation. Not, nothing against generations ahead. I think the change is is cultural and it's 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 spreading, but um, you know, when when it comes to managing deer and just the education behind it, there's so many resources out there and you're the only person who's going to limit your your success. Obviously luck has a lot to do with it, but I know a lot of people that put in the work and they get lucky more than those that don't so um you know hard workers it it, it pays off
2: amen i couldn't have said it better myself
1: so oh, hey that's i've done a lot of talking and i wish this is more conversational i feel like i kind of <laughs> stole the mic but hey that's why uh, we had
2: you on man I, I wanted to hear your story i mean it's uh, i was i was grateful you come on and and tell that i mean you you shared you really gave the whole big picture. I mean, the, the big picture that you discussed is the whole reason why we do this. And it was just through the fact that,
1: Hey, we're fascinated by big mature deer. Yeah, man. It consumes you. It it ruins you. It, it, uh, tarnishes relationships. It, it compromises your work. It, Oh my gosh, you'll miss trick or treat. You'll be late to Thanksgiving dinner, but at the same time,
2: hats off to your fiance. For not giving you the boot when you were supposed to go trick or treating that night.
1: Yeah. Um, she's she's a gem. I've been extremely blessed. Not only is she beautiful, but she enjoys this as much as I do. I think she was in the tree stand over 250 hours last year. So I, I think I learned as much from her as anybody. And, uh, you know, her little guy, uh, mark my words, he's going to be one of the best hunters I'll ever know. The kid is a magician and uh, really looking forward to see him grow as well.
2: Well, Hey, you're rubbing off on him. And I think that's awesome.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm doing my best.
2: Well, Hey, thanks a lot, Dustin. I really appreciate you coming on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I don't know um, if you're just going to play this whole thing. Hopefully we can cut out the part in the beginning where we're talking about me being covered in fish guts, but um, <laughs> I don't know. I think, can... that, I think that's part of it. Oh, nice. Nice. Like, you know, Can't wait to listen to that back, but, um, (laughs) Hey, I I know I want to catch up with you sometime about food plots. Um, I got some ideas from your podcast before and and that idea sharing is invaluable. So hopefully somebody can take something from my story too.
2: Absolutely. Hey, you take care and, uh, keep working at what you're doing, man. Love it.
1: Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on.
2: Yep. No problem. We'll see you.
1: Take care.